0: And welcome to TFM's local watering hole, and I am just one of the hosts here, Matthew Rushing, and so excited to have back with me, as she is pretty much every single week, is the one and only Christy Morris. Hello. Uh, that's a terrible British accent. Never mind. <laughs> I, I just thought you okay, were a you little girl again, and I wasn't quite sure what had happened, so, yeah. Yeah,
1: nope, I was going for uh, Polly, but failed. I'm here.
0: <laughs> well, yes, you're here, and uh, I don't know if maybe Amanda has a better British accent, but possibly... Well, I do have a little bit of a British accent, but... Ah, fantastic, you know, I fantastic. Well, we've... uh pretty much shown that none of us can really do good accents, I guess, but we are going to be talking uh, about a movie that is full of accents, which is very fun. We're going to be talking about The King's Man today, and before we get there, just a quick reminder that you can find us wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, Of course, if uh, you're listening to this podcast, just make sure you're subscribed wherever that's happening so you'll get the shows as soon as they drop. You could also do us a favor if you're listening on like Spotify or Apple Podcasts. You can give us a star rating review. We'd really appreciate that. It does help people find the show and it does help the show grow in popularity when you do that. So, really appreciate when uh, people do. And then uh, we actually read the reviews that we get out. Uh, from Apple Podcasts, because we can see them. Uh, and we uh, just thank the people that way. So you can do do all that. You can also find us on Twitter and follow us there at the 602 Club and do the same thing on Instagram at the 602 Club TFM. You can also find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash track FM. We've got the listeners only discussion group you can join as well. And, of course, the website at trek.fm. And you can see all the different shows that are happening here on the network. Um, and, of course, I want to say a huge thank you to everybody who supports us through Patreon. We really appreciate it. It is those listeners that make sure that these shows keep coming to you each and every week. And there's absolutely no way we could do it without you. So go to patreon.com slash trek.fm and see how you could be part of the team. We would love to be able to continue to grow the network as we revamp things. And the only way we can do that is with listeners just like you so again that's patreon.com slash trek fm now both of you i'm really interested in this um because this movie is a prequel to the kingsman series uh and i just wondered um first if you either of you had seen either of the first two kingsman movies before this
2: i have not this is the first time i've um had any experience with these films
0: Nice. Okay. Well, that's very cool. I love it because, you know, it's always nice to have perspective from all different areas. So that's really neat. And what about you, Christy? So
1: as a lifelong James Bond fan, I felt like Kingsman was a ripoff of Bond and I did not want to watch it. Although I love Colin Firth,
0: I was not thrilled about
1: it. So this one I was kind of hesitant about.
0: Okay. That's, That's really, really interesting. So now... For me, I saw the original, and it was it was okay, um, but really, to me, I took it as, and I think, Christy, uh, maybe you rightly nailed in some ways, it felt like almost a Roger Moore-level Bond mm-hmm. movie, but then they amped up all of the, the violence and everything, and even the sexuality and stuff, to like a 45, and... It almost works, but I think it just goes too far in too many different areas. And I did not really enjoy the first one all of that much. And so I never actually saw the second one. But I saw the previews for this a bunch of times last year and thought, wow, that just looks like it feels different. It doesn't feel like the same type of film. So for me, it was something that I, you know, started to look forward to. And then when it came out in the theater, I got a chance to actually see it. And I thought, okay, this, this was kind of everything I wanted from the original Kingsman movies. Um, Especially the first one. That's what I kind of hoped for. And, and I felt like this one just did that much better. And so um, had either of you seen the trailer then for this at all coming into it and, and knew anything about it, or was this both of you just kind of going in blind for the most part?
2: Oh, I flew blind. I kind of I didn't want to watch the trailer. Um, I wanted to just kind of see nice. the whole thing start to finish and
1: be surprised. So you never came across it though. Very cool. Oh
2: no, I've never because we don't even we like canceled our whole cable thing and we just do our streaming channels because really outside of football. We don't watch a lot of TV like that. So we just mm-hmm. have our streaming networks. So, yeah, no, I actually I never happened across this trailer.
1: See, I only happened to cross it because when I did go to see movies in the theater last year um, and this year, it mm-hmm. did come up. So I did see the previews, at least, um, even though I hadn't seen any of the previous Kingsman movies um, and did feel like this one, from what I had seen of previews of the others, seemed definitely more serious in tone and that appealed to me more.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. No, I agree with you, Christy. I think that was the thing that uh, I kind of caught from, from the trailers uh, myself is that this did feel like a, a more serious take. Um And I think that's kind of the thing that led me to want to see it in the first place. And so, um well, I, this movie obviously has a very interesting setting uh and story because you know the the first movies are kind of set in in a much more modern time um and f- feel uh, very much a, a movies of you know the the 20 you know teens whatever we call those I don't the, the aughts I guess I don't, I don't know um it's no easy way to say that you know like it just isn't um I guess now that we're in the roaring 20s again it's 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 more exciting but Anyway, all that said, I was really interested to see how you guys kind of thought of, you know, the setting and the story here, especially since this movie is kind of set up by a promise that Orlando Oxford makes to his dying wife about their son. And then the rest of this movie is, you know, a backdrop of the beginning of and, of course, by the end of the movie, the end of World War One.
2: Well, I... Um, I felt like that was a really um stiff beginning, a really hard a hard beginning um in the first 10 minutes we're losing someone who's obviously very important to the main character. Um so I felt like that was a really somber note to start out on. Um going forward that kind of set the tone for the rest of the film and the responses that all of the surrounding characters kind of had to the situations going on. Um and I th- I don't know. It felt kind of like it ended up exactly where he had promised it wouldn't with the war and with his son and you know, I think the the push and pull with Orlando and Conrad was difficult to watch sometimes. It was a lot more serious and sad than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> um so, yeah, I, I I feel like it was different than what I was anticipating. I thought it was just going to be a lighthearted or a little more lighthearted action flick. And it definitely was not turned
1: into a war movie on you.
2: (laughs) It did. I had and again. I went in with no context. So I'm like, oh, look at the. Oh, she just died. Mm
0: -hmm. Oh, she just just saw her
2: die. (laughs) He's running from the carriage. Oh, my God. The
1: expectations.
2: All right. This is really traumatic. Let's go. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, it, no, I felt the exact same way. I thought this was going to be similar to probably what I had seen of the other ones. Um, you know, and and especially knowing that it was starring, I think you pronounce his name, Rafe Finds, even though it's spelled Ralph. I'm just gonna say it. I love him as an actor, so that intrigued me automatically mm-hmm. with this movie. Um, but it does definitely set the tone for the rest of the movie immediately with his wife dying in the beginning they're trying to tell you that this is not going to be anything like the others that it's letting you know how it all had to begin and i mean to me too it kind of then tells you toward the end maybe the point of the story is you can only protect your family so much You know, that there will still be times that no matter what you try to do to protect them, that they want something different for themselves Um, or
2: or even if you guide them towards something else, denying them the option to choose for themselves.
1: So it's like, you know, he he feels that pull of he promised her he would protect their son And that he wouldn't let him see war ever again. Mm -hmm. Um, And obviously it all goes that way anyway, but not for his lack of trying.
2: Yeah. And I think that a part of that promise neglects Conrad's agency. And that's what Conrad was struggling with because he in turn, where his father felt duty to him, he felt duty to his country Mm -hmm. as all young hot blooded men do when they're you know we see it time and time again it's the same story in so many different war films it's always you know the cusp of manhood the war is starting they feel the call to go and do what they are raised to think is the thing to do and go to war and protect their country and their home and their family and to go with all their friends that are also going to war
0: mm-hmm. yeah i i think one of the things that and i think you rightly pointed this out and i remember Uh, Even just watching it for the first time at the theater, Amanda, which was, you know, oh, oh, crap. Like she just got shot, you know, like and and I think you're absolutely right that what it does is it does set the tone that this this film is going to be taking itself more seriously. It is not that we're not going to have some fun in it and there are going to be some like over the top crazy things that do happen. (laughs) Right. But there is a lot of seriousness that's going to happen here and we are going to be asking some very serious questions and christy i think you kind of hit on one and both with you and amanda we're talking about there this idea of you know what does it mean um to to try to protect someone right and you know how far can we go to protect someone and protect ourselves and our country right? Like, there's a lot of questions mm-hmm. being asked here. And, and what's the right course of action in that? You know, do we go to war? Is war ever legitimate? You know, all of those type of things. And so we're, we're just asking a lot of things. um, And the movie doesn't necessarily always answer all the questions, you know. um, mm-hmm. and And I think part of that is because the questions that we are asking here are very big questions that people have been dealing with for a very long time. And I think, what this movie had the guts to do was to have a more serious tone so we could actually ask, you know, some of those questions. And, and you know, in that, I think one of the things that we kind of get in this movie because Orlando talks to his son about the idea of what it means to be a nobleman and a gentleman and that, you know, that their family was made noble by a very different type of people than they are now. And that, you know... He calls them rogues, you know, and now we're Oxfords. And this idea, though, that sometimes the world needs a rogue, you know, and and, and we see that because, again, backdropping World War I in here, we're looking at all of these petty men who are kind of out for themselves, and that turn—that that pride— and pettiness turns into an entire war that plunges all of Europe into almost a second dark age you know like so i i think that to me was it was really interesting and then like we have i think just in the story we kind of see this equality that Orlando has that he is yes he is a nobleman right and yet he treats his people as equals everyone in his household is an equal um and i love the way that that's portrayed and it 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 there's so much more egalitarianism in that and that's what also makes the rest of the story work, because we see the way in which, you know, people that most people don't think of being in the room at that time as a servant, right? Like they become the spy network and everything. There's just so much that's going on in this story. That's so neat and has so much to say, um, without it just being like in your face, right? Like it's just, it's a part of the story and it just makes it more interesting. And you you start to kind of like think and ask these questions. I think it's really good.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Did you both not just love that that became the thing that led all of the other things to unfold is that they have people on the inside in every important office in the world that are unnoticed, that aren't violent people. They're just there to get Mm -hmm. information and pass it along. And yet it works way better than the people that are causing all the fighting.
2: Well, and I think it is worth thinking about that maybe it doesn't always – like it wasn't the people who had a seat at the table. It was the fly on the wall. And that's what made the most change because the men with the seats at the table couldn't get it right. So, everyone else had to pull the strings behind them because they weren't making the correct decisions. And there was way too much self interest and greed and pride.
1: Yeah. Like, I, I think that's the biggest thing that they show too in this movie is why well. I keep saying that. Sorry. Um, <laughs> there's a lot of big things in this movie they're showing, but um, <laughs> is that they're talking about how leaders can not always have their country's best interest at heart. Um, and that sometimes it's mm-hmm. purely about hubris and greed and some kind of self-interest and that sometimes it's the other people involved that can help make the best decision.
2: Yep. And the people who aren't so high up, the people who are actually experiencing the lasting effects of and seeing from a realistic point of view, the impact of these decisions as they trickle down. Mm -hmm. Well, and that's,
0: that's a, I mean, one of the big Points of the movie, and the reason that the Kingsman agency exists in the end is um, because of what Orlando says about not being able to trust politicians and government run bureaucracy spy organizations, right? Um, and I was kind of reminded of uh, The Hunt for October, you know, when the politician is, is talking to. I think at pretty sure it's Jack Ryan and he's like, you know, I'm a politician, which means when I'm not kissing babies, I'm stealing their lollipops. And, you know, so like, that's the, they're out for themselves, right? They're, they're, they're there to like continue to be in power. And this is an organization to which understands that we are trying to gather actual actionable intelligence, to find a way to keep peace um, because politicians aren't always – that's thats not always in their best infer- interest, right? I mean there's a reason that the phrase wag the dog is what it is. I've already seen it plenty of times in my own lifetime and I've only lived 43 years. Of <laughs> Politicians doing these type of things too because – It's basically pay no attention to the man behind the curtain kind of thing, you know. And so this organization exists to try and find a way to get past the BS and to actually help keep peace, you know, Um, especially with the different strings that are being pulled. And, of course, the movie here puts it more as this idea that there's this, you know behind-the-scenes puppet master and and so but the idea of like yeah we're not going to trust these politicians you know because they're doing they're out for them and i think the the whole thing too like i I was watching the making of documentary on the on the blu-ray and you know matthew vaughn just made a great point too this is it's also you got to be careful who the leaders of your country are you know and what do we see in this movie two of the three kings or emperors involved, right? Not great people. We have one out of 3 out of the cousins. That's good, right? And and so it really just comes down to to that that's you know, and in many ways I think that's this organization it feels so much like a almost like a superhero agency, right? You know, because they're outside of the normal structure to help keep the normal structure from falling apart because of people's greed and and all of those type of things so uh, you know i think that's it's what makes this stuff work because we all kind of realize yeah maybe we do need something from the outside to actually impact the quote-unquote inside because those on the inside aren't really doing a great job
2: Mm -hmm. And I like that their purpose isn't to destabilize anything. They aren't trying to put people in or out of power necessarily. They are just trying to minimize the lives that are lost at the end of the day. Their main goal is people's lives and to save them. And, you know, if that means that one person is taking a risk to save millions – That's the cost. Right. Which they did address at one point in the film that, you know, one life saved millions. And that was a huge lesson.
1: You read my mind. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I love when they brought that up about um, it. A, Mm -hmm. at the end, adding, we're here to preserve life and promote peace. Mm -hmm. And then also that moment where they're talking about Rasputin and trying to make a decision on whether or not it's their responsibility to take him out. And they say, what's one life if you save millions? And it's, Mm -hmm. it's a scary thing to think about needing to make that decision. Um, and how do you know, even then that it's the right one, um, either way you're still.
2: And who's to say you're the right person to make that decision, But
1: yeah, mm-hmm. they realize that he's pulling a lot of the strings, and that someone needs to take Rasputin out of the picture. But, um,
2: man, he was weird. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs>
1: I'm yeah. sure we'll get to that. <laughs> yeah. We'll get to that later. But I was like, oh, um, yeah. I did want to add too. I thought <laughs> he was he was weird in real life. But yes, yeah. we'll get there. So, <laughs> but, <laughs> but no, I I did love too, Matt, that you brought up the the whole piece about what made a nobleman and how they kept bringing it back to comparing the Camelot and the the Knights of the Round Mm -hmm. Table. And even then the code names being Knights of the Round Table, um, because that is the point as well in the way that they run their network worldwide is Mm -hmm. that it's not like he considers himself the end all be all word of the group and they all better report to him. It's that they're all in this together.
0: So, Christy, I think I think what you said there uh, is really, really interesting um, because, you know, that harkens back to the very beginning of the movie where his mother is talking to him about this idea of that, you know, you can either use your status for the benefit of others or you can hide behind it. And what's interesting is it was we're talking about this idea of the politicians and noblemen and everything like that. It just it stuck in my brain, this idea of like the problem is, is that what we see so many times even in our own life and as we look at the world but we also see in the film is that so many of these politicians are are looking at their own benefit and not the benefit of those that they're meant to be you know working for the betterment of and so you know they have this status but they're using their their status for the benefit of themselves and and so i i think you know to me it does seem like the overarching theme of the movie really does come to down to how do we use the place that we've been put um for the benefit of other people regardless of where that is right you see you know that happening with the servants um who are using uh their their status and their place for the benefit of others not just themselves you know you you see Orlando doing that you see his son Conrad doing that. Um, You even see the King of England doing that, you know, I I think, which is very, very cool. You know, we, we do see um, that not every politician is falling into this trap, right? Which I think is great. Um, And so, yeah, I think this is just something that I really responded to, especially even watching this movie a second time of just how much this makes sense that these um themes are really important and you know that's what i think made the movie interesting is cuz yeah we're in the world war 1 timeline but the themes are still very relevant because in many ways i think we've only seen this get worse not better so yeah i mean that's a great point
1: i i think that you're definitely onto something saying that it's still an issue now um i think too the whole depiction of how war has been a recurring thing um, is something that we need to think about. And I, I like that they go the direction even of twice bringing up the Latin phrase about um, what is it like? It's a, a privilege. or No, it is right and good to die for one's country. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And that they, especially in the funeral, are trying to tell you it's not. You know, that that's something that people have been told that obviously if there are people that feel called to go and serve their country, then they should. But that it shouldn't be taken lightly.
2: Yep, And it shouldn't be at the
0: behest of corrupt power. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, you know... (sighs) The question of when to act is obviously a huge part of this movie because, like you were talking about earlier, like what do we do about Rasputin and you know? So, do we do something? Do we not do something? Who should act? Who shouldn't act? You know, the idea of is dying for one's country noble or is it not? Um, I I think what I really appreciated about that was that it's not a clear cut answer, right? Because the answer at the very end of the movie is that Conrad did do the right thing, right? Like it's his action to which helped save millions of people, right? In a war that had lasted for so long and and, it, and is a war that was called the Great War for a reason because nobody had ever seen anything like this death on this scale. Uh, and so I think what I like about it is that there's nuance in the film and that it. It it does show us the good and the bad side of all of this, you know, and that, yes, sometimes war can be futile and stupid. Like World War One is a dumb war because a lot of things happen in it because a lot of different countries have these alliances and everything and it's all just, you know, it turns into a mess because one person got shot, right? Um, and then everything just kind of crumbles. And, and again, we already t- talked about the idea of everybody – Kind of looking out for themselves, and and but but there are other wars that we've seen in our world. I you know I think the clear cut cases nobody would say that World War II was not justifiable and needed. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's like this is the thing, and and so therefore the movie has to wrestle with that tension, and it doesn't necessarily leave you in a place to 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 say I know exactly what to think. It's more of okay, this is why we're legitimizing the need for this organization that started, right? We're going to try and prevent wars, not have more wars actually happen, you know? So I think that's the thing that I really liked about that whole thematic element of, like, when do we act? How do we act? And all those type of things.
1: Well, and and showing the realities of the situation. I think that the big thing they were trying to get across with the whole mention of whether war is right or wrong um was not necessarily the question but rather that conrad had heard about war and had this perception of what it was like and that it was such a heroic thing and that he felt called that he had to do that and then i like that they have Mm -hmm. him say after he has to kill several people i didn't realize what my dad meant yes and like you don't know till you cross that line
2: Mm -hmm. And when he was with the soldier, he went to go and gather the guy whose leg got blown off with the intel. Um, He's saying, I thought I knew what I wanted Mm -hmm. and I was wrong. Like, I think that whole interaction from start to finish was so impactful in the film.
0: I 100 percent agree. And I think you know what it also does and i think it does a very very good job of is showing how and we've all been in our teenage years where we end up thinking we know it all right and mm-hmm. in that know-it-allness there's that moment where we find out oh no crap our my parents were right, <laughs> right. my mentors yeah. were right you know um and and i think this this movie just does a great job of reminding us that Of those moments, you know, and it is, it is sadly frustrating that so many of us will have to go through that where we are going to make the mistakes that everybody's telling us not to make because we think we know better. And in the end, you know, it's kind of that thing from Ecclesiastes, there is nothing new under the sun. And so there's a reason why it's important to pay attention to others history um and mm. history in general um so i i absolutely agree with both of you i think it's a really poignant moment a really important moment in the film because it does show um kind of i think the reality of not only war um but the reality of that there is a wisdom in listening to those that have been there before us you know, mm-hmm. um, and not just negating what they're saying because oh, they don't know. Well, no, it's really you that don't know because y- you know you you haven't lived that experience, and you aren't paying attention to the experience of not just like say your parents or, but your, the experience of hundreds of thousands of millions of billions of people who have lived since the beginning of time, right? (laughs) (laughs)
2: Lived, died, lost. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) To war. And I think for Conrad in that moment also, it was repainting what he thought the face of war looked like. It wasn't this bold, brave, gallant moment. It was a bunch of scared boys fighting in the mud. Mm
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: And begging for their lives. Mm Mm-hmm and terrified to stop yeah. mm-hmm. fighting.
0: And and that was the reality of that war too. Like World War 1 mm-hmm. was the was a warfare that nobody had ever seen before. Mm-hmm. You know, and and its the consequence of it was astounding, you know. So
1: and yeah. I just wanted to add, and maybe this is something that you both also saw, was I like that the way that they did this story with World War I, Um, there are a lot of things featured in this movie that did actually happen in World War One in real life. Um, and here they're just dramatized. You know, there, there might be some tweaks here and there that make it more entertaining or interesting, but, you know... Uh, these are issues that did actually come about. And I like that, for example, with the inclusion of Rasputin, if you go and look up his story and how he influenced the Romanov family and then led to the collapse and the family's execution and all of those things, it, those are things that really happened. (laughs) And the way that Mm -hmm. they kill him in the movie is very similar to how he died in real life.
0: Yeah. That's a great point. Christy, it, it watching the, um, the extras, they they did a great job of talking about, you know, how much of this story, obviously, you know, a lot of it is over the top, um, but they're using a ton of historical characters and the reality of the situation. I mean, even the way Duke Ferdinand is killed is pretty much exactly what happened. There's the assassination attempt with the bomb. It doesn't it doesn't work. And they just happen to pass by the guy because they make a wrong turn into a dead end. And. You get shot, you know. So that kind of stuff actually happened. Um, so I, I think and that's the kind of fun thing that you can do in a movie, and 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 I, I liken this in many ways to kind of what you do in uh like in Glorious Bastards, where you know you're you're playing with history to tell a different type of story. Um, and I think that's something that they do really well. And and in all honesty, I think to me, what's what makes the movie work. Is that um, the the cast? And you know, when you have Ray Fiennes as the lead of the movie, you know he can be so intimidating. Obviously, playing somebody like Voldemort or whatever. But there is like this sparkle and this twinkle of like mischievous fun that he can also have and like he does it all in this movie he runs the gamut of like emotions you know from losing his wife to losing his son to having those moments where you know, he's in a fight scene and he completely has the upper hand on somebody and, and it's just this almost like twinkle in his eye. It's a little bit evil, but it's kind of fun. I, he's he's <laughs> spectacular in this movie and he makes it look so effortless.
2: Yeah, he I was impressed because I don't think I've seen him in a ton of things, but I've always enjoyed when he's um, in a film and seeing him have this kind of range from start to finish. And how many different roles he played within one role. That was that was really cool.
1: Yeah, I echo that, especially in this scene where he <laughs> um, realizes that he's lost his son. The weight of that scene. Oh, oh he did such a good job. Um, and like you said, Matt Bennett, you know, also in the scenes where he gets to have a little bit of fun. You can really tell that with him in just the slightest little smirk on his face. He doesn't like ever really Mm -hmm. smile huge all the time, um, but you can tell when he's got a little smirk to it. And I like that he always pulls off this just depth of emotion in his scenes and how measured his responses are to things where you're like hanging on every word. Um, So, yeah, I think without him being the lead role that a lot of the other things in this movie don't work as well.
2: I I think it takes a really special actor to go from the ranges of grieving husband, grieving father, um, country's man or king's man, king's man in this film to semi hypnotized Hanging out without pants with Rasputin to, you know, <laughs> <laughs> in a Scotch-fueled depression. I mean, he literally was so many different things in one
0: film. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Best yeah. friend. I, I mean, I, you like, guys are just, I, everything you're saying, I'm like, oh, I kind of want to go back and watch the movie and <laughs> just like just watch Ray Fiennes just do his thing <laughs> because... He absolutely does it in a way that I think is is entertaining and fun, but it's just really engaging like he's he's really engaging on a string and he has a lot of chemist like charisma that keeps you um interested and, and and in all honesty you know makes you excited that maybe they might do war that they might do more and so um Gemma Arterton uh, plays Polly and I've seen her in plenty of things. Um, You know, I I think uh, one of the, maybe the first times I feel like I saw her was in uh, *The quantum of solace, you know, Mm -hmm. she plays agent fields. um, But she's been in lots of other things and I really loved her role in this movie. And I thought she did a great job mainly because she has to play things very close to the vest most of the time. Um, And, Usually m- more reserved. Um, but then there are those moments where she just does something out of the blue that you're not expecting. Um, you know, like when she shoots the knife out of uh, Shola's hand, you know, and tells him to come inside for a meeting. Um, you know, things like that. Or, or, you know, when she finally confesses her love and is is leaving Uh, because she's like, I can't be a part of this anymore. You know, um, I, she's, she's just so wonderfully adorable on screen. And yet, man, I feel like she could just murder you with a look. So, yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, I think the moment for me that really sold me on her character was when you initially meet her in the movie and you think, oh, she's just a maid and he calls her to his office. And then the way she (laughs) talks to him, you're going, Whoa, (laughs) someone is insubordinate with their boss. Insubordinate and churlish. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) But she was great. And she, I I like that she is most of the time, like you said, Matt, the very reserved, you know, has to really kind of play behind the scenes as a character in order to get things done Mm -hmm. without being noticed. But I like how then she has those moments of, pure emotion as well like she's sitting in the um you know hidden bookcase room and trying to crack the code and she just finally gets so exasperated she's throwing papers everywhere
0: yeah
2: yeah and i like that she was by far the best shot in the entire group and she knew it and they all knew it Mm -hmm. and she wasn't shy about Mm -hmm.
0: it yeah yeah a hundred percent um, I it's she's just so enjoyable. Like she she's created a really enjoyable character. And again, you know, having her survive is something that's really fun because it 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 does make you I and it makes me want to see her again, you know? And so I'm I'm glad that she's there and Jaiman huntsu too, I think, you know. I've seen him in so many things, you know, and he's been so good for so long. And I think there's an intensity and a gravitas to who he is, and he just brings that to every scene. And yet there was something about his kindness that came through that I was really impressed with in this role. And I just thought he did a phenomenal job in this.
2: I feel like there was a gentleness to his role in this film. Um, as violent as moments can be with all of the um action sequences, but his character's persona was gentle and he just he wanted everyone that he cared about to be happy and wanted the best for them consistently throughout the film and was devoted to every single person that was in his circle.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I love then that that kind of leads to him becoming the Merlin of the group because they're saying, you know, he may be reserved most of the time, but when needed, he's the smartest person in the room. He thinks creatively, he cares for people. He has all of these different parts of what make him who he is um, and what you don't expect. And then I just Mm -hmm. have always been a fan of his work as an actor anyway. If you haven't seen Blood Diamond, he's incredible in that. Oh, so good. And then he can do stuff like Guardians of the Galaxy. Don't know if you remember that. (laughs) Uh, So, yeah, he he has a lot of range. Um, And then, like you said, Matt, just this intensity about him um, as well. So, yeah, I I was so happy to see that he was in this movie.
0: Well, and I, I think, too, on top of that, one of the things that... I really enjoyed was that Harris Dickinson who comes in as Conrad, you know, I think he does a really good job of portraying a character and a type of character that we have seen before many times, I think. Um, but he's really earnest. And I think that earnestness is really important to the role because it helps you, um, believe in the character and root for the character with everything that's going to happen to him. And, um, you know, his earnestness and his belief is something that, that as a character, he's willing to put his, his entire being behind, which I think is actually really special, you know? Um, and you know, he, he's willing to put his beliefs to the test you know, and willing to do whatever it takes to make that happen in the end. And even when he finds out this is not what it's cracked up to be, at least it was in his brain, he still is willing to then complete the mission. Mm -hmm. And so there's just a real resolve of character there that I think he does a really good job of. And in some ways it's disappointing that of course, you know, he dies and, and we won't get a chance to see him in any more of, of these films. Although, What we do see is that the man who replaces him becomes Colin Firth later on and down the road, you know, so that's really interesting.
2: Yeah, that moment was really jarring for me because I was not expecting it. He had committed and completed his mission. So when he got very quickly accused of being a a spy, ooh. that was not something I had at all seen coming throughout that entire sequence. Cause he kind of, he had made it through to the other side. Yeah.
1: You thought, Oh, the danger is over now. He's with his own side. Yep. He got the guy where he needed to go, even though he died. Um,
2: he, yeah. he did the thing. <laughs> and,
1: and it shows too how in war there can be those snap judgments like that, that then someone's life is over, you know,
2: Yeah. And they even slowed that moment Mm -hmm. down where you could see the person who had shot him. You could see he had obviously been hit and the guy next to the person who had shot him was trying to mediate the situation and get their arms in to deflect it. And it was just a snap decision moment
1: that felt like such a waste that it's like, and yeah. A gut punch. Oh, yeah. No, I. I'm glad you mentioned that because I absolutely, in that moment, both hands went to my face and I went. <gasps>
2: <gasps> yep. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but he was phenomenal. Yeah.
1: And honestly, too, another moment that I really loved with that actor was when he's at the breakfast table with um, his father, and his father's not really listening because he's reading the letter, and then he hears the very mm. end when he says. You trying to protect me can't make up for your guilt over not protecting mom. And you're just like, oh man, <laughs> stab me in the heart. <laughs> but I like that his father takes it in and realizes he says, you know, I I'm sorry. I you're right. I mean, that that is what I've been trying to do. And you're right again that I can't always protect you and that sometimes the world needs rogues Mm -hmm. as you said, Matt. So Mm
0: -hmm. yeah, no, absolutely. Um, well, uh, you know, we have a a couple of different villains, uh, very interestingly, of course, in the movie. And, and one of them is, is played by rice iphons, as Rasputin, which is an insane character, um, in the, in the film, but in many ways, um, he is honestly not that far off from the reality of the insanity of rasputin as he was um which is i think maybe just as disturbing um and so what did you i'm really interested to hear what you know both of you guys thought of of him and his portrayal here because i mean it's definitely off the chain
2: that presence just made me so like deep in my bones uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he was weird and not the kind of weird that I like.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you mean you don't like that tongue thing he did?
2: <laughs> oh, no. The licking the leg thing just that was way too much for me. <laughs> the the cake vomit, the licking, the shoving everything in his face because I have a thing with people chewing with their mouths open. That was just like a whole five minutes that I wish I could erase from my brain.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I will say, starting from the first time you see him, before you get to all of that, yeah. how did you feel about him and, and the actor playing that character?
2: Oh, I thought he did an incredible job, but man, what a freak.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think that they picked the right actor for this, for one thing, because he has something just about his eyes that I feel like really catches you. And then especially here with the way that they've got him wearing eyeliner even, and this creepy hair and he's so tall and he's just very imposing. Um, But he does such a good job of from the very beginning, giving across this, he's got a huge ego. The whole argument at the table with the shepherd about why do I get the ring with the tortoise on it? And then he finally realizes who he's dealing with. And he's like, well, the tortoise always wins the race in the end. <laughs> I, I take it back. It's fine. I'll take it. It um, was great. And I like that. He talks about how he has this resistance to poison. For a reason. And that is something that actually happened in real life with Rasputin. When they were trying to kill him with poison, they kept feeding him things with cyanide in them and he didn't die. And that's why Mm -hmm. they finally ended up shooting him in real life because they're going, I don't know what's, what is happening? How is he not dead? Yeah. He won't (laughs) die. Um, But I think that the best part about that whole creepy scene, although it was disgusting with the healing stuff that was happening, supposedly um, the dance combined with the sword fighting was so cool. And I thought he was awesome. Mm Hmm.
2: Oh, yeah, I think that entire sequence was just absolutely outrageous in every way you could possibly use the word Mm -hmm. outrageous, Good,
1: bad, ugly.
2: (laughs) Yep. Everything. It was just it was over the top. It was ridiculous, funny, really gross. And then
1: (laughs) Polly gets the kill shot.
2: Of course, which was great. And the boys Mm -hmm. made a mess.
0: Yes. Why are the why are boys always so messy? Um Yeah, I I mean I don't think I can really add anything to anything you guys have said because it's I mean he's he really is. <laughs> he's he's fantastic in the movie and, and like the creation of the dance scene, I think it really works so well. Um it fits, you know, they, they really put a ton of thought actually into why he would be able to do this and, you know, what his, um, you know, they, they thought a lot about the different type of, uh, fighting styles that people had in Russia and some that had been like, um, turned into dances to keep the fight steps because they were, you know, they became illegal. And, you know, so they, they thought, well, what if, you know, this was who rasputin was you know and so they just kind of added all that in and i think it just really worked for the movie and the character you know i mean like you want the character in many ways to be as creepy as sin and he turns out to be as creepy as sin and (laughs) that's exactly what you're looking for and so i think they did a really good job with that and then you know, on top of him, you have the major villain of the film, which is played by Matthew Good, and he is playing uh, Max Morton and also the shepherd, who is this, you know, Scottish radical who is angry about, you know, years of of the way that the British have treated uh, the Scottish and are looking for independence. And he is manipulating all these powers behind the scenes. For his own benefit, which, again, goes back to the whole idea of, like, people doing things only for the benefit of themselves and or their little sect, right? And and so I, he is just, you know, I've seen him in a lot of things. Um, I know him a lot from uh, Watchmen, where uh, he uh, is excellent in that movie. Um, but here, yeah, he's just, I think he's having a fantastic pl- time being completely devious. And it's kind of great. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I think the last time I saw him was in Downton Abbey. So it was interesting to see him with a different role where he wasn't playing the sad Mm band-aid at the end of the series.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's a great point.
1: Well, and it's crazy how (laughs) he goes completely under the radar. I mean, at least for me, I don't know if you guys had the same thing, but it was like you don't expect his character at all until suddenly they bring it back to the ship getting blown up and how he went out onto the balcony. And I went, oh, in my mind, I thought, well, he just fell over the edge mm-hmm. or something. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, I mean, he seemed so inconsequential for the little bit of screen time he had at the start of the film. Mm-hmm. So when the ship blew up, you're like, oh, he's yeah. dead. It's fine. You don't even think about it twice.
1: Mm-hmm. But it was him all along. Yeah.
0: No, <laughs> I liked that reveal and I liked that in the theater. I thought it was great. I think it really worked. Um, and, you know, I think one of the things, too, that they they do that, that really helps is the fact that, you know, they, they create in him um, where it's difficult to see how it could be him because of the way he looks in the first place. It would be di- it's difficult mm-hmm. to see how how could this guy be the same when he, you know. You know, we know the one dude has hair. And, and so, all in all, I think he does a really, really fun job of playing this character. And, and I just enjoyed, um, you know, his, his portrayal of just kind of this insane person who is, you know, he's willing to do whatever it takes to get what he wants, regardless of, like, the cost for anyone. Like, he's just, you know, I mean, he's starting a war uh, with the entire... Um, the entire realm of Europe, and you know, of course, America will join too, because of what he wants and to make people pay. And it's just, you know, it's it's great. Um, and I think it's just it's just well done. So I I I really enjoyed the performance. And so, um, sorry, before you move past casting, I did want to
1: add one more thing. Um, so. There were a couple of people that, although they didn't have a lot to do in the film, um, were big name actors that it was awesome that they got included as some kind of role. Um, I wanted to give a huge shout out to Tom Hollander, who I don't know if you noticed, played all three of the cousins in different costumes. Yes, he's so great. And all I remember him for initially is uh, Pride and Prejudice. What excellent boiled potatoes.
0: (laughs) Oh, he plays the world's uh <laughs> smartest like little Mister Collins. Yeah. Like, uh he's so terrible. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So yes, he was. Awesome. Thank you for.
1: Um. Yeah. And then one more thing. Um. Daniel Bruhl, who was one of yeah. the members of the Shepherds group, who is also from *Inglorious Bastards*. Yep, and uh, oh. from *Civil War*. Yep. So. He was. Um. Who was he in *Civil War* again?
0: Uh, he plays um, Zemo. Yeah. There you the go, Amanda. Yeah.
2: Yep. I was super, super stoked to see him, and I'm super, super stoked. Well, we'll get to that. <laughs> I don't want to say too much about the uh
1: Yeah. The end. Oh, yeah. No, you're good. Um, so and then the only other one I just wanted to call out was, did you notice Charles Dance, a.k.a. Tywin
0: Lannister,
1: I was in did. this movie? Yes.
0: Yes, as he well as up. <laughs> being in, um, you know, he he's in a uh, Kong, um, you know, you know, come on, Christy, um, he's in that movie with Kong Skull Island and uh, uh, not Skull Island, but um, what's the uh, uh he's on uh, Godzilla versus Kong. You said it God or Godzilla King of Monsters, in. one of them. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just going to oh, name all man. the monster okay. movies. Right. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Hold
1: on. Um, oh, and I'm sorry. I forgot one more. My favorite, one of my biggest crushes ever is also in this movie, Aaron Taylor Johnson, a.k.a. Kick-Ass.
0: Who is also uh, in Godzilla.
1: So. Aaron Taylor Johnson. Yeah. Yeah. Amanda, you know who I'm talking about? Lance a lot in the movie.
0: Oh, yeah. I don't. I
2: haven't seen him in much. And I um, don't hate me. I haven't really seen any of the
0: monster movies. Okay. I don't hate you. That's Michael's thing. Yeah. Godzilla King (laughs) of Monsters. That's right. So, yeah, I wanted to ask both of you, obviously, um, it's it is a big action movie and we talked a little bit about Mm -hmm. some of it, but I just wanted to ask how both of you liked that, because obviously that's going to be important in this type of film.
2: Oh, I loved it. I thought that they had so many unique fight scenes. Um, I really enjoyed in the last one with the sword play how the camera angles were panning down the blades for um, a couple moments of that fight. And it was a really unique perspective that I don't think I've seen too many times on film. Watching them kind of parry with each other, that was really interesting. Um, as well as how like visceral they made some of those violent moments. Mm-hmm. And then also how humorous. Like you have the dancing fight scene that's absolutely ridiculous. And then the war scene that is super heavy and super serious and poignant. And yeah, I, I thought that they really played a whole
1: hand of cards there. Well and how they have Merlin uh come up the lift and then <laughs> come yeah. out of nowhere <laughs> with the sword and chop the yeah. guy's head off. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I I thought the action in the movie was great, too. I like that it wasn't always super over the top. Um, They knew when to play it up and then other times when it was a more Mm -hmm. somber scene. Mm -hmm. Um, But very entertaining, felt like well done and not cheesy. Um, in an interesting way, like you said, Amanda, of shooting some of the scenes, um, you know, thinking about new ways to position the camera or to add some effects that made it a little bit different than other movies.
2: Oh, and we can't forget the goat. Yes, they used a goat. That's awesome.
1: <laughs> I was going to ask Matt how he felt about the Shepherd's Fortress of Solitude up there on that cliff.
0: Uh, that was pretty cool. <laughs> uh, I really thought that was well done and a lot of fun. Actually, um, I, I just I, I i thought that they did a very good job of kind of creating that, and um, it just it. What was great about it is that it doesn't feel like necessarily a villain's lair. Um in in the sense of like just kind of like a classic villain's lair. Um I think they did a great job of of creating something that felt like you know, this this cashmere, right, is supposed to be um this this really delicate and like special thing that you know you can only find in certain places and um i think they did a great job of just kind of creating this place where you kind of feel like oh this would be the type of place where if you're looking for you know a, a specific type of you know cashmere sweater you're going to pay a lot of money for it it's going to it's going to be from this type of place and i just uh, you know i thought that they did a really good job with that and i just really enjoyed it just felt like, a, I don't know, it was really cool. Uh, I, that's all I can say. I just really thought it was great. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I liked it. Did you guys think that that was a, a, a neat layer? Did it work for you?
2: Yeah, I actually liked that it was a little more simplistic um, and not some big, you know, bolts and secret passages. It was stripped down and very rural and remote. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought it lent itself well to that villain in particular, and I mean, it was on an ice cliff. That was kind of and neat. how they
1: teach you if all else fails, climb like yeah. a mountain goat. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yes, <laughs> I was going to say it. It gave us some interesting situations. Yeah. So,
1: yeah, like clearly, goats cool. know what they're doing. Sometimes, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I also love, by the way, the. <laughs> realistic way that they use the goats where they have the goat headbutt him as soon as he climbs up to the top. Oh, because goats are yeah, jerks sometimes really and they will do that to you. Yeah.
0: <laughs> but then they will. I kind of liked that. The goat helps him in the end. Yeah.
1: Stabs the guy in the leg. Fun too. Cause he
0: was nice. Yeah. Cause he was nice to him. So yeah,
1: <laughs> he
2: didn't
0: hit him back. He gave him some head scratches and was like, yeah. we're cool. Yeah. It was great. So yep. um well, I guess I, I'm really interested. You know, we I think we've it, it's been really fun to honestly, you know, talk about this. And so I I'm fascinated actually to see where both of you are going to end up with your ratings for the King's Man.
2: I think I would give this like a 7.8. I thoroughly enjoyed it. It was a very entertaining movie. I liked the historical mix with the drama. Um, it was not what I was expecting, which I'm glad I didn't go in having watched anything, so I got a lot more shock factor out of what I saw than I think I would normally if I researched the film at all. Um, yeah, I I I was entertained. It was emotional, it was funny. Um, points off for how violently uncomfortable Rasputin made me, but whatever. (laughs) Yeah, the cake vomiting really just put me over. I didn't need that today.
1: The cake vomiting (laughs) more than the leg licking? Because that was worse to me. You
2: know, it, 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 it all happened at once and there was crumbs in his beard and it was messy face and yeah, it was so, yeah, (laughs) there was like a huge gross out factor for me. Um, But it was so entertaining and I loved all of the um, interactions between Conrad and Orlando. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, Between Conrad and Orlando. um, And, oh, that's what I wanted to say about Conrad. I like that they portrayed his character um, as not just the headstrong teen who went and did whatever he wanted and was disrespectful in doing so because a lot of the times that's the route they take with those characters. Conrad's character was still so caring and compassionate um, towards his father throughout the entire experience and none of it was to spite him. So I thought that was a really unique perspective that they took with him. So, yeah, I like I think that they did a really well, a really good layered story with this.
0: Yeah, that's great. I'm really glad that you ended up liking it. That's awesome. What about you, Christy? So I
1: I was just going to add, I like that you said, too, he was um, getting (laughs) his dad's blessing. You know, he wasn't just a a petulant child. He understood his perspective. So that was nice. Um. I would say for me, as far as ratings go, um, this was a nearly perfect movie for me. And I'm wow. I'm really surprised Ooh. myself by saying that um, because <laughs> I haven't even seen the other ones. Um, but I felt like this had the right amount of humor here and there and then the serious tone to it. And although I wouldn't necessarily say I'd usually go to war movies, um, I I like the way they did this one. And then they had some mm-hmm. great action and some great character actors um, playing great characters. So for me, I would say if we're doing out of 10, um, that I would give it an eight and a half out of ten, um, or a four and a half out of five um really wide swords. Yeah. Like, like Shola had that just, it nice. was cool. It was like a, it felt like an Arabian sword or something. Um, so yeah, it, I enjoyed the heck out of it. I would definitely watch it again. And the actors were what made it for me.
0: That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I, I think this is something to which I was really surprised at when I went to the theater and I just, I, it was obviously one of those things where like i did not know what to expect and i think the movie does a great job of having a really interesting tone where we can have some some fun but we can also do a lot of um very serious question asking and i really enjoyed uh the um just pretty much, like you said, Christy, it's like this. I just enjoy pretty much everything about the film. I think it's just doing a lot of smart things, it's a lot of fun. And, um, and yet I, you know, I enjoy when I'm, I'm made to think about things as well. Um, and so I, I really am glad that, um, this movie wasn't afraid to have things to say. Um, and to ask some serious questions. And so, yeah, I just I really liked this movie, and I think I would give it a good four out of five stars. um it's it's just really, really enjoyable. So um, well, it's definitely that time of the show for some recommendations. and so I'm really interested to see what Christy you would like to recommend to everybody this week. So
1: this is a doozy and it's going to divide people possibly, but I think that it will in a good way. Um, I came across a comedian, um, during the pandemic, um, that it just totally made my year seeing, um, his TikToks and stuff and then led to more. So, um, I'm going to recommend people check out somebody called Matt Cutshaw. Um, who started doing silly videos called Felt Emo Might Delete. And then it turned into a whole YouTube channel and then into a merchandise company. And now so many people have identified with how he feels and um, are kind of reviving that whole emo culture and bands that were popular. For me, at least it was like 2004 to 2008 in my life. Um, that it's now a cruise with a lot of those bands coming back to play again on that cruise. Oh, wow. I'm telling you, it's grown and grown and grown. So please check out Matt Cutshaw and the site Emo's Not Dead. There you go. Because it's not. Oh, cool. It's awesome. That's awesome.
2: <laughs> <laughs> My Chemical Romance yes, forever. we taking back Sunday.
1: All of it. <laughs>
0: Oh, yes. goodness. Well, what about you, Amanda?
2: Um, I'm going to go ahead and give people something nice and long to watch. And I'm going to recommend um, Downton Abbey that I mentioned earlier because it also takes us back to the cusp of World War I. It is on a more serious and understated note. It is very dry British humor. If there is humor in the episode and it's a very nuanced show, but I think... I think there's something for everyone if you take the time to sit and watch it. Um, I really enjoyed all of the seasons, and you can see our villain from this film be the sad band aid at the end.
0: Yes, you can. <laughs> yes, you <laughs> tie it together. Um, yeah. Yes. No, I, that's great. I, I I love Downton Abbey. Uh, during COVID, my <laughs> my wife and I uh, spent uh, a lot of time uh, watching through Downton Abbey. So I yeah. 100% uh, agree with you. It is it is actually great. Yeah. So I, I hope everybody will check it out. So yeah. um, uh, I am going to recommend it to everybody uh, something that I absolutely adore. Um, it is the Keira Knightley version of Pride and Prejudice, what I believe is actually the best version of Pride and Prejudice. Um, you know, everybody loves to talk about their six-hour version, whatever. Um, it's just not as good. It's not. So um, you can fight me on that. That's fine. Go come come at me, bro. Um, but I I love that version of the film. It, it's wonderfully cast. It is incredibly shot, and in all honesty, has one of the most beautiful film scores I've ever heard. Uh, and so I highly recommend uh, Keira Knightley's *Pride and Prejudice*. But Amanda, so good to have you back. Um, and of course, we say a huge uh, congratulations to you from the 602 Club as uh, you and your husband, Eric, are going to be having a baby soon. Um, so yeah, we're glad for you on that and, and that you made some time to join us here uh, on the episode. But if anybody did want to catch up to you, maybe just follow you now and see what you've got going on is, yeah, a, a little Pfeiffer is on the way. Where can they find you? <laughs>
2: <laughs> you guys can always find me at Twin Sons Amanda on um, both Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok.
1: Excellent. And Christy, what about you? And uh, you can find me also on Instagram and Twitter at Bespin Bell. Uh, and when I'm not on the six zero two club, I also um, appear on a show that Amanda and I do together called Sabers and Spells, mm-hmm. which you know, has been uh, here and there. But <laughs>
2: well, we had a wedding and then, uh oh, we're pregnant. Hello, <laughs> so we've had a little bit of a hiatus, but we're getting yep. back to it. And then,
1: you know, pretty soon there will be a baby. What
2: not Girl. an alien, <laughs> not an alien, as Twitter guessed it would be when I set the poll. Twitter decided it was an alien.
1: Well, <laughs> I mean, with two Star Wars fans it's and fine. one of you also being a Harry Potter fan, who knows?
2: <laughs> it's all good, so long as it's got roughly ten fingers and ten toes. I, I think roughly, I'll... Yeah. it's, it's not I a troll or a you know <laughs> so three headed dog ballpark. or
0: something. <laughs> oh goodness! Well, that's it's gonna be so much fun.
2: <laughs> we are the most stoked. We're so excited. Yeah. Well, I mean, I would hope so.
0: You know, that's important. <laughs> you know, it, because the baby's coming now, whether you really want it to or not. Yeah. So, <laughs> uh,
2: which also, guys, that's why the Rasputin cake scene grossed me out so much. I got really nauseous when oh, he started. Throwing yeah, you up.
1: had morning sickness before.
2: I was like, oh, oh, I can't
1: watch it.
0: <laughs> oh <laughs> no! Oh no!
2: It was so gross.
0: Well, that'll that'll do it. I mean, honestly, I totally yeah. understand because. Yeah, that was that was definitely uh, y'all
2: made me watch someone vomit on screen. <sighs> I'm so sorry. It's fine, I forgive <laughs> you.
0: <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm sorry. So, um, well, hopefully everything's okay now. Um, and uh, you could find me uh, all over the place under the name Matt Rushing Zero Two. Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, Vero uh, is all the places. And of course, you can find me uh, here on the network doing a bunch of different shows. We've got the Orb, Literary Tracks. Warp 5 and the Artificial Tango. The Orb's about Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Literary Treks is about the books in the comics of Star Trek. Warp 5 is about Star Trek Enterprise. And the Artificial Tango is about Star Trek Picard. You're going to find me over on the Nerd Party Network. I did a Finish show with Dre and uh, We talked about every single chapter of the Harry Potter series, one chapter at a time. Uh, you can also, uh, of course, uh, find me doing aggressive negotiations with John Mills as each and every week we dive into something fun Star Wars wise. But thank you so much for joining us.
1: Why are boys always so messy? (laughs)